Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hey everyone, I'm back in my house. I haven't recorded a podcast in my house in a long time. It's been like two months, I feel like. I think I'm glad to be back to the grind. It's nice to return to uh return to routine, even if even if it's temporary, which it definitely is for me. This year is gonna be nonstop traveling, which will be cool. Um, but it's nice to be home. It is freezing in Topanga, which I'm sure like the rest of the country will be really mad at me for saying because fifty degrees is not freezing, but to go from like uh a hundred degrees and super humid to dry and cold and rainy in Topanga um, and have it be like 45 degrees. It's a little intense, just a little, but it's not so bad. I'm glad to be home. Um, I decided that I was going to do a solo podcast today and I think I'm going to intermingle solo podcasts throughout. Um, I know I've talked before about kind of struggling with like, do I release a podcast a week? Do I release a podcast every other week? I think the answer that I've gotten is that I'm not super sticking to a schedule, um, which is fine. (laughs) Um, hope you guys don't mind either, but I thought that one way to add some extra episodes and some extra content was to record more solo shows. Um, and I had the idea that maybe I could answer any questions that some of my listeners had and or elaborate on some of the topics that were already discussed on the podcast. Um, So what I decided to do was actually to poll my Patreon audience. So for those of you that don't know, um, I made the decision, uh, at least for now, um, that I don't really want to have any ads on the show. But in order to make this even remotely sustainable for me, um, means that, you know, I'd like to make some money doing it. And, um, because, you know, gotta like eat and live. Um, and I would love for this to become more of my income. So I set up a Patreon. Patreon is super cool. Um, for those that aren't familiar, it's a way to support people doing cool shit that you enjoy. So whether that's, uh, any form of art, or um, even activism, um, you can go on and donate a small fee uh, monthly or per project. It depends who has the account. Um, But you donate per month and it's basically like public radio. So you are supporting work um, that is oftentimes really challenging to make money doing, particularly in the arts. So you're become patrons of cool shit that you like, that's cool, that you want to hear and see more of. Um, So I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Anya Cates. It starts at five bucks a month. And um, that money helps to support me in doing the show equipment-wise, time-wise, traveling-wise. I've talked about a lot that I'd love to do a lot more interviews in person. Um, But all that is time and money. Um, So... Uh, I decided to pull my Patreon audience, um, and if I, I would love to do more of these shows, I would love to do more shows where I'm answering questions from the listeners, but I'm likely going to be just taking questions from the Patreon community. Um, I want to add value to the people that are donating to me as much as I can, and so 
in addition to the perks that I offer which with each tier. So like I release a monthly column of inspiration called Minerva's Muse to my patrons where I, um, did I say monthly? It's weekly. I don't know what I said, um, but I, I share like music that I've been listening to, like some cool photograph or art piece that I like, some article that um, really resonated with me. I do monthly worksheets about like various psychological, cosmological, uh, astrological um, concepts. What else do I do? There's t-shirts if you donate a certain amount. Um, lots of shit. So in addition to that, uh, another way that I thought I could add value to the patrons was to be like, hey, do you guys have any questions for me or do you have any topics that you'd like me to elaborate on? And maybe once a month, maybe more than that. I will uh, record an, a solo show on the podcast um, answering them. Um, oh, I also release one bonus episode a month on uh, Just for Patrons as well. So this month, probably within the next week, I'm going to be releasing that. I recorded a conversation with my friend Autumn uh, when I visited her out in Arizona. I thought it would be cool to kind of start a little series where I just record very informal conversations with my friends. So a little bit different than the interviews that I post on, um, the main podcast, just kind of like casual convos, um, that are unplanned and unscripted and see what comes up. So I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had with Autumn in the next week or so. We talk about everything from, um, dildos to anal sex to astrology and like the overall meaning of life. So fun times. Um, so anyway, that's what this show is going to be. I posed this question to my patrons. They sent me a bunch of awesome questions. I'm putting a list together and I'm going to be working through that list. Um, for patrons that are listening, always feel free to submit questions. Uh, you can do so through Patreon or email me, Anya at AnyaKates.com, uh, A-N-Y-A at A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S.com. Um, if you are a regular listener and not a patron and you have a question, you can email me, but I'm going to prioritize the questions from my patrons first. So if you'd like to get in on that whole thing, head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to get into these questions, topics, what have you. Um, so let's see the first thing I wanted to talk about, um, Actually, so I put up a post uh, after Valentine's Day or on Valentine's Day on my Instagram stories about this, and um, one of my patrons wrote, like, hey, you should elaborate on that on one of your solo shows, um, and then asked a question that actually fit into it really well. Um, so I did think it was a good idea to elaborate on. But I had this weird experience on Valentine's Day this year, kind of witnessing what people were posting, um, and... I don't really give a shit about Valentine's Day, honestly. I haven't for a long time. It It's similar to me not really giving a shit about mainstream holidays in general. But it was really interesting to, like, just kind of sit back and witness, like, what was going on on the internet, particularly on social media, uh, specifically on Instagram, of, like, how people were grappling with how to address this bizarre holiday. And I feel like the experience that I kept having was I like saw these people like running through this crazy inner monologue in public on the internet around their thoughts around Valentine's Day. And what I witnessed a lot of repetitively were people kind of fluctuating between like, hey, um, this holiday is like stupid and doesn't mean anything and, you know, was created by Hallmark and bears no weight on anything. And so, you know, if you don't have a partner, like don't be offended because this means nothing, but also like, don't be super negative about it because then you're missing the point and it's about love. And like, we love is great and it's just another opportunity to love. And so, oh yeah, uh, here's a picture of me and my partner. And I'm going to go into a whole paragraph about how much I love them and happy Valentine's day. I was like, what is going on? Like the, the spectrum of feeling around this went from like, this doesn't matter to actually I'm going to do and make this post anyway, and just provide this strange disclaimer at the beginning of it. So no one gets offended. And 
Um, it reminded me a lot of, I guess, how people deal with other types of major holidays, right? So I think we have a similar thing that's going on right now about Thanksgiving, for example. Like, on the one hand, we recognize that it's a fucking bullshit holiday celebrating mass genocide and colonization. But on the other, how do we crawl out of tradition? And if, like, our family's having Thanksgiving... Do we not go? Do we go and say something? Do we go and say nothing? Um, and I got a question from one of my patrons around how do you align your life with your beliefs? And I thought, I, once I thought about it a bit more, I recognized that that's really what this is all about. Um, <clears throat> I think, especially for young people growing up in a world that makes little to no sense to us. Um, and I think a lot of us are trying to break free of a lot of systems and structures that were handed to us. That's a lot of what this podcast is about, obviously. Um, but it, it presents a, a challenge because it's easy to sit around and talk about these things and, oh yeah, we're going to end this systemic injustice and we're going to create new lives and new worlds and we're going to operate in new ways but when it comes to walking out the door and actually following through on that, actually walking the talk, you know, what the fuck are we supposed to do? Like, we can't just throw our lives away and live off the grid. Um, you know, we don't want to neglect our family if they, you know, or I mean, maybe we do in some senses and that's fine and, and uh, valuable in its own right. But, you know, if you love your family and like spending time with them and one of them is hosting Thanksgiving and like you want to eat some fucking turkey and stuffing and pie, you know, are what should you do? Stage some sort of, you know, dramatic um, anti-Thanksgiving thing and not go? Um, and of course, like a lot of these questions, like I'm just a random chick. I don't have the answer. What I can share is what I've done. And I think... The way that I've looked at this is, I mean, I take several different strategies. I, um, for the past couple years, actually talking about Thanksgiving, I think Thanksgiving's ridiculous. I don't really care to celebrate it. Um, obviously I think it was founded on some pretty bullshit principles. I do think it's important to be vocal and honest with anybody that we do know that we are close to that is still, you know, blinded by what the holiday is actually about and is celebrating Christopher Columbus in a way that is, you know, offensive and ridiculous. I think it's very important to be honest with people. And so if there are people in your family who are racist or prejudiced or whatever it is, you know, we should say something and we should speak up. Um, I've, for the past couple of years, uh, haven't really had a Thanksgiving to attend. And so I planned on not really doing anything and just being at home. Both times the past couple of years, I was invited last minute to someone's house for a meal. And both times I was like, Oh fuck. Like here I am making this whole claim around, you know, how Thanksgiving is ridiculous and I don't want to celebrate it. And I was just invited though, by a friend to their house for Thanksgiving and I would like a free meal and, um, I liked the people that invited me and I want to go. And does that make me a terrible person? Um, so I don't, I don't know. Does it, does that make me a terrible person? I don't think so. I think, I, I think that in regard to aligning our life with our beliefs, that it's a lot bigger than that. It's both actually a lot bigger and a lot minute. Um, I don't necessarily think that by, not going to that Thanksgiving on that day would make any more of a difference than me going to Thanksgiving, right? And I think if you talk to anyone, Native Americans especially, around Thanksgiving specifically, I think they would say the same thing. Like, you don't have to not celebrate Thanksgiving, just don't do so under false pretenses. And so going back to Valentine's Day, I think it's that same kind of thing. And I think what I was witnessing over on the internet was people's inner struggle with this shit of like to do what we're supposed to be doing or to do, I'm sorry, to do what is expected or to do what is traditional, to do what, 
is conventional or to not do it. And I think like, just make up your mind, you know, I don't think it matters. If you want to celebrate Valentine's day or Thanksgiving, just fucking do it. You know, I think what is unfortunate. And I think where we fail is where we care about what other people think. If we're giving so much of a shit around like whether someone is or is not going to be offended about us celebrating Valentine's day or is, or is not going to judge us for celebrating Valentine's day. I think that's where we get stuck. I think when it comes to aligning your life with your beliefs, do the work to figure out what the fuck your beliefs are and then live in a way that feels intuitive and authentic within that space, you know? So I don't personally, Valentine's Day is ridiculous. I'm not going to post about Valentine's Day. I'm probably not going to post a photo of myself and someone I love on Valentine's Day. Um, but if I wanted to, you know, I, I would, and I would do the the work that I needed to do around myself and my own authentic beliefs in order to feel good about that. I don't need to put a bunch of disclaimers out on the internet one way or the other, you know, like I'm, it's cool for me to post something about how Thanksgiving is ridiculous and then go have a meal because why? Because I know what I believe. I know what I think. I know how I'm living my life day to day. And so that dinner, whether I go or not, is not indicative of my entire belief system. So to more specifically answer this question around how do you align your life with your beliefs, I think it's like an every minute process. Um, over the past couple of years when I was struggling a lot, I talk about this I might have mentioned it on the podcast before. I know I have on some interviews that I've done. Um, I started to ask myself why I was doing everything. So I had lived with my a partner, boyfriend, husband for a long time. I hadn't lived alone pretty much ever, aside from like a random moment when I studied abroad in college. And I got, I moved in. Um, by myself to an apartment a couple of years ago. And I had a few moments where I thought like, I didn't like, am I the type of person that washes their dishes in the morning or do I take care of that before I go to sleep at night? You know, um, like, why am I listening to this music? Why am I going to hang out with that person? Why am I getting this food for dinner? Why am I doing this exercise, this workout at this time? Why am I going to bed at this hour? Why do I have a TV? Do I want to watch this on TV or do I not want to watch it? It was like this endless process of rediscovering myself. And that's what led me to the place of what are my beliefs in general? And I do think it goes down to those minute details because I think a day is, you know, a culmination of lots of teeny little things. And so from anything from when I get up in the morning to what food I'm buying and from where to what businesses I'm supporting, I mean, that's another thing why I like Patreon so much and why I encourage people to support people they care about. Because it's like with your money and your time, that's how we're shifting things in the world around us. And so if we're buying products from companies that are doing shitty things, well, guess what? We're proliferating the success of those shitty companies. But if we're putting our time and money toward things that are actually cool and people we actually support, then that's a change, you know? That's a way to align action with belief. Not just talk about it and think about it, but actually do something about it. And it's not going to be perfect. You can't expect yourself to not be able to participate in the bullshit of the world. I mean, plastic is fucking stupid and ridiculous, but I'm not going to be able to get through a day without using many, many things that are plastic. So I've got to tackle what I can tackle. You know, but also I believe plastic is ridiculous, so I'm going to be more conscious around my plastic purchasing, right? Like, I'm not going to not buy anything that's plastic, but I'm probably going to, like, turn down the straw at the restaurant. I'm going to bring reusable bags to the store. I'm going to do what I can. Um, and that, and be, be confident, do the best that I can and be confident that I am doing the best that I can without beating myself up about it. Um, and it's an ongoing process. And I think some people have more, uh, resources, privilege, 
intelligence even to do these things and to align their life with their beliefs more so than other people. And so if that is you, if you do have the resources available to you to make different decisions, there's it's even more of a responsibility for you to do that, you know, because other people can't afford that luxury. And so you need to be the change. You need to step up to the plate and like, fuck yeah, like I have knowledge and privilege and I need to do whatever I can. And I'm not going to, you know, expect that someone else is going to do it for me. Um, so that's what I would say about that in regard to this aligning your life with your beliefs. Figure out what the fuck your beliefs are. And the way that we do that is to get quiet, to remove ourselves from situations that make us stop trusting ourselves. So if you're not sure where your intuition was, if you or is, if you don't recognize that, if you don't hear that voice inside your head, if you don't feel grounded within your own thoughts in your own life, then you need to remove yourself from people and structures and things that are making you question yourself and start doing what I said, ask yourself these questions. Like, what do I believe around everything as minute as, you know, when do I want to wash my dishes to, you know, where in the world do I want to put down roots and start community to what type of clothing companies do I want to support? to what do I want to say online about Valentine's Day, you know? Ask yourself those questions, figure out what those beliefs are, and then be very conscious of them throughout the day. And if you feel like you're doing something and making a choice that's inauthentic, change it. Have the balls to change it, to do something different. It'll make a world of difference, and it might influence someone else to be vulnerable and change in the same way. And also don't beat yourself up about it, you know, because that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't self-deprecating ourselves around our choices or that we could always do better. And, you know, it's not good enough. That's completely not useful. So it's a, it's a, it's a thin line between doing the best that you can, but also not making excuses and not doing enough. So that's what I'd say about that. Question one, done and done. I hope that was helpful. Um, <clears throat> what to talk about next? So another question that I was asked was, um, is there value in depression? Which I loved. I love talking about <laughs> depression. I actually love talking about grief. And I think that's where I'm going to go with this question. And I think grief and depression are very um, much related and what do I mean by that? So uh, depression can be defined in a myriad of ways. I had a conversation with um, Tim Holleran, forget what episode number it was, but we talked about the astrological significance of the millennial generation. And he talked a lot about depression and how um, depression was and can be extremely useful. And I agree, um, although I think it's uh, like, again, a fine line around how we're looking at depression. So I, there's a quote that I love, um, by Martin Prechtel. He wrote a book called the smell of rain on dust. One of two books about grief that really changed the course of my life. The other one is by, uh, Francis Weller, Francis Weller called the wild edge of sorrow. But Martin, uh, Martin Prechtel has a quote at the beginning of his book that is grief is not depression. A griever is not depressed. Depression comes from not being able to grieve, which turns our losses into violence. And that was kind of a revolutionary thought to me. Um, and then another book that kind of also tied into this, I don't have the quote in front of me, but uh, Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller, I believe, another must read. Um, she talks about how depression and... Um, what she calls grandiosity. So people that are highly functioning in the world, like very successful, that grandiosity and depression are two sides of the same coin. And they both come from a lack of authenticity and a lack of knowing oneself. And when I say grandiosity and being super successful in the world, I mean, this is sort of where I fell into. So I was never depressed. I was, um, overcompensating. So my way of avoiding pain was to 
distract myself by doing shit all the time and doing it really well. So overworking, you know, being fucking great at everything, being a perfectionist, holding on to control as much as I could. Um, I think to some extent, like depression is this releasing of control in some way and grandiosity is a holding on to it. Um, but both are relatively unhealthy. Um, and that what we're avoiding is pain. We're avoiding pain that we suffered as a result of society, culture, parents, teachers, colleagues, friends, um, that they're both distractions from what's actually going on. And so I do think that depression, again, as well as grandiosity, are deflections away from pain and an avoidance of grief. Um, so I think there is immense value in grief. And if depression is what gets you to a place where you realize you need to grieve, then awesome. But if it doesn't, if it's a muting of emotion, right? Because depression is not being sad all the time. It's kind of being shut off all the time. At least that's how I define a depression. And I've been in a couple of relationships with people that struggled with depression. And that's sort of what I see it as. It wasn't, these people weren't crying every day and emoting and being in touch with their emotions. They were blank. They were shut down. So that's accomplishing. The shutting down is accomplishing the same thing that the busy making is accomplishing, right? It's avoiding feeling. It's avoiding emotion. Um, and so is there value in depression? I think only if you recognize it as, okay, I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? You know, um, Gabor Mate has a great quote about addiction. And I think it's like, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. And I think it's the same thing. Like, don't ask why there's depression. Like, where's the pain coming from that's forcing this person into a depression? Where's the pain coming from that's forcing this person into grandiosity and overcompensation. Um, I think it's really, really important to grieve. And a lot of people don't understand grief. They think grief is purely associated with death, um, like the death of a person grieving over the loss of someone who has died. And for sure, that is grief. But we can have grief over so, so, so much. I hope to get Francis Weller on the podcast uh, soon. Um, he has, if you, you should definitely read his book, but he also has a YouTube video where he walks through these different types of, of grief. Um, you know, grief about the lack of community that we have, you know, grief around, um, the lack of love that we may have received as children. Um, and he sort of goes through this list of ancestral grief, all of these, traumas that we've suffered just, you know, before we even were born into the world. And then certainly after we were born, but it's, we're avoiding it. You know, we live in a world that is not appropriate for humanity. You know, this, none of this is normal. Like the way that we work, the way that we isolate and have this idea around self-reliance, you know, post-agricultural revolution, like, we fucked ourselves. None of this, I, as far as I believe and have researched and read myself, not to mention just how I feel, none of it is instinctual. And there's loss associated with that. But loss is really painful to deal with. It's painful, and it's also something that society at large doesn't understand and doesn't accept. So it's like, not only were we raised in a way where we, you know, or not only do we want to avoid the pain, but then everything that's coming at us is telling us like, you shouldn't feel pain. There's no reason to feel pain. You know, you have a roof over your head and a job and a this and a that. Like, why do you have any pain? Like, you should be fine. You shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't be this. You shouldn't feel burnt out. You shouldn't be overworked. And we get into a place of insanity. And the only thing in my mind that happens as a result of that is we get depressed, we get addicted, or we get sick right? We, our bodies break down as like a last resort. Um, and we're, we're run, or we run ourselves into the ground, you know, via this grandiosity thing. So that's my feeling about depression. I think 
if we're talking about depression as an emotion, fine. But if we're talking about depression as a place where we're avoiding things, then no. You know, when I was grieving a lot over the past couple of years, it, you know, what does grief look like? And people say, oh, people grieve in different ways. Okay, that might be true, but grief isn't grief unless you're feeling emotion. And what are the emotions felt in connection to grief? Sadness and pain. And what happens when we feel sadness and pain? Well, normally we cry, right? We have to f feel that. We have to um, move that uh, emotion within our body. And I love thinking about this actually from kind of like an astrological standpoint, um, in the chart, you know, water is associated with emotion. So water signs, this is a lot of cancer, Scorpio, Pisces. These are it's water motion, emotion. And if you think about what happens in the body, or if you think about what happens when water is stagnant, right? What happens when it doesn't move, it becomes putrid. It smells, it collects bacteria, and so the only way to keep that water fresh is to keep it flowing. Think about a waterfall or a fountain. And so if we're holding on to that emotion within ourselves, that water, the only thing that it's doing is becoming stagnant and disgusting. And so we have to move through it. We have to feel the emotion, right? The only way out is through. And uh, a lot of us, including myself, were taught not to feel as kids. Um, it's pa very painful, especially for parents to watch their children in pain. And so what they do is to try and tell them that their feelings are not valid. Oh, you shouldn't be upset. Don't cry. You know, don't do this. This You don't have a right to this pain. You don't have a right to this suffering. And so we hold on and especially, especially men, but women as well. We hold on to that pain. We don't express it. We don't express our feelings and it gets caught in our body and it turns to, you know, as Martin Prechtel says, violence, or in my case, it turned into my body breaking down physically. So we need to grieve. We need to feel pain. We need to feel emotion. You know, and I'll give an example of a really nuanced, um, example of this that just happened the other day. So I went to therapy a lot over the past couple of years, I found a therapist a couple of years ago when shit started hitting the fan. And it was the first time in my life that I was really intentional about therapy. And I made a commitment that I was really going to do this work. And I was going to leave no stone unturned. Um, because, you know, I, uh, I'm overcompensating and have to be perfect at everything, even my self-exploration. <laughs> Um, kidding, except not really. Uh, so I was on a fast track and I was going to therapy two to three times a week at the beginning. Um, and that shifted over the course of the past couple of years. And recently I've been traveling a lot and it's, it's gone down a bit and I wasn't going super frequently. And the other day I decided that I was actually going to like formally stop going at least right now. And some of that was provoked by my income and what I plan to do this year, not to mention just my mental health in general, which is pretty balanced comparatively from where it was a couple of years ago. So I was in therapy and I, at the very end of our session, you know, we had talked about, I had talked about this with my therapist a lot in terms of my, you know, what it meant to leave. And she said, how do you feel about stopping therapy? And we had talked a lot about my guilt prior to this. I had some guilt about stopping, but she's like, aside from the guilt, what is it that you feel? And my response was, instantaneously, well, I don't really feel like it's stopping because I'd love to come in, you know, now and again. And like, this isn't just the end. And she said, but don't you think that looking at it like that and saying, oh yeah, well, you're, you can come in once in a while. Do you think that's avoiding the emotion around it? My therapist is the bomb. <laughs> and of course, immediately I started to cry and I started to cry because like, this therapy that I had had, this relationship that I had developed with this person, the amount of value that this experience had for me was immeasurable. I mean, it was phenomenal, which is an understatement. And so I started crying because it was a big fucking emotional deal to leave. And so 
just even in that little moment of me being like, oh, well, I'm going to keep coming back, right? That was avoiding the emotion. Because, oh, pain is, sadness is hard to feel. You know, we don't want to feel it, but it's so important to do it. We have to run through that with ourselves in every way that we can. And so I was so grateful that she said that because it gave me an opportunity to really feel the sadness around stopping, you know, and cry and thank her and thank myself for the work that I'd done and reflect on the magnitude of what that experience was, you know. So anyway, that's a small example. So that's my answer to the depression question. I hope that was helpful. Um, all right. Should we answer one more? I think we should. So the last question that I'm going to answer that one of my dear patrons asked me, I actually think I might be giving her, I think she asked the, is there value in depression too? So shout out to Mary for asking awesome questions and for being an awesome person. Um, but she asked if I want to be a mother. And I just have to answer that question because it's so juicy. Um, so I actually thought it was really interesting how she asked this because she didn't ask, do you want to have kids? She asked, do I want to be a mother? And I think those are actually slightly different questions. And I was really glad that she posed the question in the way that she did about wanting to be, if I wanted to be a mother, because I think that actually made me think about it in a different way. Um, and certainly played into the answer that I'd give anyway, but I think there is an important distinction there. So I'll go back a little bit just to give some context to this answer. Um, I always just sort of assumed that I'd have kids and be a mother. Um, there was little to no question in my mind that I always wanted them. I really like kids. I feel very free and myself around kids. I, um, just feel really comfortable. There's something about kids that, you know, light a spark in me that, um, other things don't, right? It's a unique experience that I have when I'm with kids. And maybe that's because I had some difficulties as a child, which for so many of us do, maybe it's about like trying to just be a positive, loving, supportive, um, person in a child's life. Um, but there's something that just makes me feel like a kid when I'm around kids, which I really appreciate because I think we all need to do more of that. Like forget about bullshit and just like, what does it mean to be happy and free and joyous? And I think about that a lot recently and I've had a bunch of experiences just within the past few months that have made me really remember what it was like to just feel totally free and happy and recognizing how little I need to do that, to feel happy, you know, that just like laying out in the sun with a cup of coffee is like, and listening to some awesome music, like, do we need much more than that? And for me, that's a very sort of kid-like simplistic view. It's like when we get older, we think that we need to give ourselves all this crap, right? The money and the job and the family and the house and the this. And of course, none of that makes us happy. And I think being around kids has always reminded me of how little we need. And so I think for that reason, and just because there was some overall expectation, I also um, entered into a relationship with someone that was, uh, I forget now, 20-ish years, my senior when I was 22, who I ended up marrying. Um, and he wanted a family and I wanted kids. And so there was always this expectation around like, yeah, I'm going to have kids. Like, and I probably want to do it sooner rather than later because I want my husband to be a father in my children's lives, you know, I'd like him to like be alive. Um, and so for the vast majority of my twenties, that was kind of the plan, like get married, uh, in my late twenties and pretty quickly have a kid. I am very grateful. I didn't do that. I don't think that was the path that I was meant to take. I was not supposed to <laughs> have kids that soon with that person in that circumstance. Um, and I think part of the 
after getting married, you know, I was with this person for seven or so years, but we were only married for seven months. And I think part of the reason it ended so quickly is because I started to realize what the trajectory of my life was about to be. And I wasn't ready. You know, I didn't feel like I was at a place where I wanted to make children and married conventional life my life. And so I panicked and I disappeared. <laughs> I, I jumped ship, basically. And that, as time went on, became more and more clear to me. And so then I went through this whole process of really uncovering a lot of wounding around my childhood and my relationship with my own mother, which added another layer to this. There was no recognition prior when I wanted to have kids around how I really wanted to raise them or in a way that was different from my mom or um, there was just not a lot of consciousness, honestly. And again, something I'm very grateful for because of had I brought kids into the world without having done this work on myself and uncovering all of these things, that would have been no bueno. Um, so once I did all of this work around my own relationship with my mother, if you guys haven't listened to the episode I recorded with Bethany Webster about the mother wound, I highly recommend it. It delves into a lot of these topics, um, how the mother wound affects us both directly and indirectly, you know, with our own mother and within society at large. Um, but so I, this became a more complicated question for me. And I think whereas before, and I think this is a common um, belief around women in general is that being a mother is somehow, um, something, you know, that they deserve. It's like an instinctual right. And they, uh, feel very much like they're entitled to it. And I don't feel that way at all, especially not now. I, at the moment feel like being a mother is an immense responsibility. One that I don't take lightly and a privilege. Um, so the way that I think about it now, you know, I really want to mother. I have always wanted to mother. I'm a very caring, loving, supportive person in general. I love building people up. I love, you know, like holding space for people's emotions. I love supporting people when they need support. Um, I just really affectionate in general, and I really love creating nurturing spaces. I want people to feel comfortable and safe. I think a lot of that was because I didn't have a lot of that. And so I, you know, I'm compensating for that, that lack. Um, but it's very, it's very authentic for me. I, I just very much feel and care for people in a really deep nurturing way. But mothering doesn't have to mean I have kids, my own kids especially, but any kids really, right? I think a lot of the work that I want to do in the world, this podcast actually, to me, is very mother-like. You know, I want to be like, hey, like, it's cool if you're struggling. It's cool if you don't feel like you fit in. It's cool if, you know you're going through an experience where you feel like nobody gets you and that you don't belong. And I wanted to provide a place that people could go, even if that was just like plugging in their earphones where they didn't feel alone. So this podcast to me is a, is a very motherly type of experience. Like I f kind of feel like people's mom, you know, and that makes me really fucking happy. I don't need kids to feel like a mom. Um, I can also spend a lot of time around my friends' kids. You know, I would love to live in a space in a community where there are lots of kids around. It's kind of the only way that I'd actually bring my own kids into the world as if they're, uh, they could be raised communally, that I could raise them outside of the system. Um, and again, so it's like, do I need my own kids? I don't know. You know, the way that I answer this question simply is at the moment. Yeah, I'd like to be a mom, but I'm not ready to be a mom right now. And I don't know if those two things are going to ever align, right? So the desire to be a mom and the feeling of now is the time to be a mom. I don't know if those two things will, uh, line up. 
I might reach a time where I would say, yes, now's the time to be a mom, but you know what? I feel pretty complete and I don't actually feel like I want to bring kids into this world. I don't need that. I don't have that desire. I feel fulfilled in that role in other ways. So those are my two kind of variables. Like, do you want to be a mom and do you want to have kids right now? And if there comes a time when those two things line up, cool. I guess I'll have kids and be a mom in that sense. But that's not now, and I don't know if that will ever come. And so I'm just kind of keeping my options open. What I would say, though, in terms of bringing kids into the world, if we're talking about being a mother in a very literal sense, um, the one thing I refuse to do is to uh, raise kids within this system. And what do I mean by system? Like, I'm not going to be sending my kids to public school. I'm not going to that being raising them in an environment <clears throat> where they're watching fucking shows on an iPad in a restaurant, you know, as a daily routine. I'm not going to be you know, wanting to provide them with the normal kid things that they want from like fancy branded shit to whatever, whatever kids want these days, whatever kids are participating in. And that's not to say I don't want to, I don't want to isolate my children. You know, I think unschooling, homeschooling, whatever you want to call it, like there are some dangers in that as well. And it has to be done extremely responsibly. And I understand that. But I'm going to do, like going back to the beginning of this conversation, conversation, who am I talking to? Talking to myself. Can it be called a conversation? <laughs> going back to the beginning of this monologue, um, you know, I want to align my life with my beliefs as much as I can. And I would feel really, really shitty and inauthentic if I brought kids into this world and just kind of threw them into the mess that I feel so critical of and that I think has been very harmful to myself and everyone else. So I guess there are three things that would have to align. It would be like, am I in a place in my life where I've created a way to bring kids into this world where I don't have to put them into the quote unquote system? Do I still want to be a mom? And do I want to have kids right now? Those three things would have to align in order for me to feel comfortable being a mother. And I think those are questions if you're a woman or a man, you know, being a father to really think about if you don't have kids, you know, this whole thing about the overpopulation and, you know, bringing kids into the world and having that be irresponsible. I get that too. I don't super resonate with it. I, I don't think that, you know, if we bring kids into the world, we're like ruining the planet. I think there's a lot of other ways that we're making contributions to that. Um, so <clears throat> I think that's part of it for me, but I feel like if I could bring a kid or kids into the world that could do really awesome shit to help uh, prevent and fix a lot of the crap that's going on, well, maybe it's a, you know, a net win. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of variables, <laughs> but those are the ones that I consider. So, all right. I think that was probably enough questions for today. Um, please let me know if you guys like these, if you have additional questions or topics you'd like for me to cover, um, please message me. If you're a patron, I will prioritize your questions. I still have about like six or seven that I really liked that people sent me that I'd like to address on future episodes. So send me more. If you're just a regular old listener, um, I encourage you to become a patron. Uh, again, it's patreon.com slash Anya Cates. And uh, if you don't want to become a patron, you can still submit your questions, Anya at AnyaCates.com. Um, all that aside, if you want to support the show in another way, you can always rate and review the show on iTunes. I say this every episode, and I think people just ignore it because everyone who has a podcast says this, and it's like, oh, she's saying that shit about rating and reviewing. It's really helpful. It helps the podcast show up more in search results. It takes zero time, and it like just requires a click of your finger. Um, so if you have been listening to the show, and you like it, and you find it valuable, if you could please go on iTunes and just hit, you know, five stars or however many stars 
you feel I deserve. And if you're feeling extra generous, write a review. Those mean so much to me. I think podcasting is this like really weird thing where, you know, you kind of are talking to nobody in a sense, right? At least that's like the direct experience. And so that feedback and that communication is like super valuable to me, whether that's an Instagram message or a Patreon message or a review. That shit makes me happy. It makes me happy to hear about how you guys heard about the podcast. Um, and on that note, if you just have a friend that you think would enjoy one of the episodes or the show in general, tell them, you know, word of mouth is awesome too. I appreciate it all. And so on that note, I'm going to leave you for today. I was debating what song to play after this episode. There's a lot of choices, but I chose to pick the one that was like the most literal because I appreciate a theme. So this is uh, Back to the Wild by Langhorn Slim. It's a tune that relates to these topics, I believe. Um, so enjoy, and I will talk to you guys next time. Sit all day, pissing away my time. Too fast to live too long. Well, I don't wanna die, but I don't know yet where I belong. I've had it better than some, and I know I shouldn't complain. Though my grandfather told me once that all pain hurts the same. Return to when I was a child